welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. This podcast is for grandparents on the go with their grandchildren and for parents who want to ensure loving relationships across the generations. I welcome your input and your feedback on every episode of the podcast we produce. Please send me an email at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com or connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Grammy Adventure. Please follow or subscribe to my podcast. It's free, so you won't miss an episode. And ask your family and friends to do the same. You can subscribe to the monthly newsletter by visiting my website, adventureswithgrammy.com, and clicking the newsletter sign-up link. Roseanne Weissman is a renowned Washington, D.C.-based marketing communications executive who has won more than 60 national and international awards for her work with clients, including the Alliance to Save Energy and Discovery, Inc., with its Animal Channel and its first feature film, The Leopard Sun. Roseanne's a regular guest lecturer for both undergraduate and graduate students at American University School of Communications and School of Public Affairs. And she's a volunteer at Jumpstart Jubilee, a bilingual infant to pre-K school in Washington, D.C. As a child, Roseanne dreamed of going on safari. As an adult, she fulfilled that dream. She's gone on three wildlife journeys, the first through the rainforest of Borneo, Indonesia, where she watched orangutans, then through five southern African countries where prides of lions walked directly in front of her and she photographed penguins, adopted an orphaned elephant, kissed a giraffe, and saw five elusive leopards, including two cubs up in a tree. Roseanne, before we discuss your book, Roseanne travels to Africa to kiss a giraffe and you tell us the secret behind that kiss, please tell us about your volunteer work with Jumpstart Jubilee. I told a number of friends I was looking, and one friend said, you know, I have some clients that really might be perfect for you and you for them. I walked in there, and I loved the head of the place, Miss Didi. She was called Miss Didi. And this was at Jubilee Jumpstart. I walked into the infant's room and I was hooked. I looked at these darling little kids. It looked like a UN meeting. There was a little bit of everything. It was white. It was Hispanic. It was black. It was, I saw one um, Muslim child. I did not realize at the time until his father came and picked him up. And so I felt this was home as far as I was concerned. It, it followed the philosophy, I believe, that you should meet all sorts of people. And I loved working there. Children that come from a wealthy or enriched environment and those that come from less of one is 45,000 words. And I thought, okay, that's where I can help. I can help equalize this situation. And so I just, I talked to the children all the time, the infants, because I knew that they were learning, even if they couldn't speak. I had read enough to, to know that. And I used words. And I said, you have a big blue ball. That is so large. That is enormous for you. And I would use my hands to describe and then use large again or big so that they understood that it's the same type of thing. And I would teach things along a walk. So sometimes I would use words and I said, look at the jack-o'-lanterns. It's going to be Halloween. And I went, wow. And I did that a few times during this one walk and the kids come back and every one of them is saying, wow, (laughs) a word they never used before. I just loved working with them. Thank you, Roseanne. It is through her work with Jumpstart Jubilee that Roseanne wrote her book, Roseanne Travels to Africa to Kiss a Giraffe. 
Before we learn about Roseanne's secret to kissing a giraffe, I want to play for you a short clip about the essay contest that's coming up to honor grandparents. We are sponsoring an essay contest for children ages 5 to 16 to help them honor their grandparents. The contest coincides with two summertime grandparent celebrations, Gorgeous Grandma Day and Grandparents Day. The grandchildren can share their love for their grands by telling the world in 250 words or less why their grands are grand. The Adventures with Grammy podcast will announce the winners during a special Grandparents Day episode that will be broadcast September 12th. Each of the winners will be invited to record his or her essay that will be heard on the podcast. To learn more, visit adventureswithgrammy.com forward slash podcast forward slash contest dot html. So we've talked about your wildlife journeys and I've read the book and I've looked at your website and the imagination journeys that you lead children on. I have to admit, I'm a bit envious of your travels. Please tell our listeners about your trips and let us in on that secret about kissing that giraffe. And my first trip was to the rainforest of Borneo to see orangutans. And I traveled with the leading primatologist on orangutans. And one of the things that I did during the pandemic, and this is without the use of my hands, without the computer, with only an iPhone, I was very, very, very worried about children during the pandemic. They were scared, they were anxious, they were zoomed out and zoned out. And I thought, what could I do for children that would be helpful? And so I created something beyond the book and behind the scenes of that first trip in the book to Borneo. And on my website, which is Roseanne with a Z, R-O-Z-A-N-N-E, Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N.com. On that first page now is the book with links to know more about the book and also to take an imaginary journey. So anybody can see what this journey is. And basically, I have piloted that with children and and teachers in classrooms. That was so hard during the pandemic. But Jubilee Jumpstart was very helpful. And I did that for them. And I had also been a virtual reader during their reading months. So I read the giraffe part of the book. So the book starts out with Roseanne, meaning me, as a little child like them. And then it says, you know, talks about things that I like, like my stuffed teddy bear and wild animals at the zoo and in the backyard. And I ask children, what do they like? And then it shows that I'm older. And it says there that I worked with Discovery, but I didn't want to just watch wild animals in the movies and on TV shows. I wanted to go where the wild animals lived in the wild. So that's how the book starts. And it starts that way because of input that I had from the head of Montessori schools. And she said, she looked at this book, she's been to Africa many times. And she said, you know, Roseanne, this is a wonderful book, but there's a problem. Nobody knows who Roseanne is till page five. So that got me to thinking, she didn't say start as a little girl, but it got me to thinking, how do I introduce Roseanne? How do I introduce the fact that this is a real book with real, a real story with real photos, you know, that everything's done on my iPhone, et cetera. And, um, That became part of the story. So I went to my sister's place in Cleveland, which is my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, and dug through our parents' photos. And there was one that they had on their wall. 
Her parents are gone now, but on their wall that I was trying to find it, I'm looking everywhere. It was just this, not a great photo, but it was the only one I could recall that was on their wall in color. And it was tinted because I think I grew up in the black and white age. There was a photo that I'm not wild about, but it's me as a little girl with this bow and this very curly, not cute hair. And it was me as a little child. And what I discovered when I read this pre-pandemic to children at Jubilee Jumpstart, you know, I said, so you know something that other children won't know who get this book. You know Roseanne. You know, you know the author. And so here is Roseanne as a little child, just like you. And this one girl jumps up and she said, just like me? And I said, yes, just like you. And then she goes again, she jumps up again and she goes, just like me? So I wasn't sure if it was. And then I thought it was that I was a grown up, you know, that I was grown up. And I was sitting there. I think it's that she could not believe that I was little like her. But this has made a big difference in the book. And I did a lot of testing with teachers and with children on the book. This was pre-pandemic. You could do those things. I would talk to children on a bus, you know, et cetera. So this just, you know, this was, I don't remember if it was version two or the last version of the book, but this edition really struck a nerve. And the thing that makes this book very, very different is because of the way it was developed. The children were very excited about my trip to Africa. I talked to them about it before leaving. And I said, I am going to adopt a baby orphaned elephant and kiss a giraffe. They were so, so excited about this. And when I came back to them, Miss Didi meets, meets me at the door on my first day, and she's already cut out photos that I put on Facebook, and I did, we're connected on Facebook. And I told her that she could show the kids anything that she wanted, video, you know, pictures from this trip because they were so excited and they could be part of it if, they, if she wanted to share with them. So she did share. And not only did she share that, she shared with the kids that I was going to do a book for them before we ever talked. So she meets me at the door. She's got some of these photos from a um, Facebook article I did called The Wildlife Whisperer. And I covered my three wildlife trips and how each of them made a difference for me and how important they were and so on. So she says, I was thinking that you could do a book, a children's book for the children. And we put that for the children. Miss Didi knows how to hit your heartstrings. And she'd already told the children of your three wildlife journeys with your photos. So the book already was going to be a real story with real photos, which is very unique in the children's book world, as other grannies will know because they've read so many books to their grandchildren. So it's a real story versus fantasy. It's got real photos versus wonderful illustrations of the typical children's book. I, I love the illustrations, but this is not like this. They're very authentic figures, meaning they're not the kind of thing you would get in a children's book from a National Geographic or a discovery that might have used photos. Those would have been the most gorgeous photos you have ever seen of anything, you know, National Geographic photos. These were photos I took on an iPhone, starting with the iPhone 5 I had going to Borneo, which you couldn't edit. They weren't great. And the photos in the book got better with the giraffe trip. When they approached me about doing a book, I thought, okay, how the heck am I going to do this with no computer, no voice recognition software with a disability? 
that it was really important for me to do the book, to figure out how to do the book, because children were promised that I was going to do this. And I wouldn't want a promise broken. So I had to figure out how I could do this book. Let me backtrack to one thing with a little girl that made a difference. When I first stepped into the infant's class, my first day, an infant picked me as her person. And I was her person for her whole three years there. And she picked me by spotting me. And she was on one side of the carpet and I was on the other side of the carpet. She could not crawl. She could not walk, but she could roll over. She rolled over and over and over and over till she got to me. I sat her up and I got this big gummy smile. And from then on, I was her person. She truly picked me as an infant. And we were together for her entire three years there at Jubilee Jumpstart. And I named her my book consultant when she was two and a half years old, from two and a half to three and a half years old. This book did take a while. I did it all dictating on Siri on an iPhone and using the Simple Prince app that was never designed for books. And let's just say it took a long time to do and correct and so on. So I also created the only book with emojis, to my knowledge, because my iPhone, when I dictated words, it would have an emoji. If I wanted it, I could delete, but I kept the emojis and I tested it. So my book consultant, I'm not going to say her name. She needs privacy. (laughs) My book consultant took this job very seriously. So two and a half years old, she really couldn't talk. But I knew this child so well, I also knew if something didn't work for her. So at the beginning of the book, it says that I love mammals. You know, I asked her if she knew what a mammal was. She nodded her head no. And I said, so here's a picture, you know, I, I put in. And it was of a zebra a baby zebra and the mommy. And she's turning her head every which way. And I said, you know, I, I think you cannot tell the baby zebra from the mommy zebra. And she nods, yes. So just from that head movement, I knew that this was an artsy picture that I loved that was inappropriate for kids because they needed something where they could tell the difference I said, let's try some different animals. You tell me the one you like. Well, she liked the mommy elephant and the baby elephant, because you're talking about a great big mother elephant and a little baby with the big ears in the grasses. So you could tell one is huge, one is tiny. And I decided to crop the picture, just leaving the mother's rear end and the little baby. It just worked. So she was a help from before she could talk. And when I explained to her that her older sister was an intern to Miss Didi, but that she had a bigger title, I said, interns are usually younger. I said, but you have a much bigger title. You are my book consultant. And adults are often book consultants. That's a very big job. And she goes, oh, (laughs) just like that. And I think a great deal, Carolyn, of my desire to do this book was this child and the other children who started out with her as infants who were in that particular class. Some of them started as infants. Some of them came later. But some of these children knew me from when they were babies and when they graduated into the older class, where they would turn three during that time frame, there was such a big change because they could talk. They ran to the door, they hugged me, and they showed me, they remembered the boo-boo thing that I used that they didn't understand. They showed me every single tiny boo-boo that they have, even the ones you couldn't see. They ran to the door (laughs) and showed me every boo-boo. So things do make an impression. And I guess I want to 
tell you something else that was so meaningful to me. So this child, I missed her terribly when she left. She left for what I call big school in DC. When you are three years old, your parents can enter the child in the lottery. And those who won the lottery could go to public school in pre-K, in, pre in preschool, free. And you know what an expense that is. It's a huge expense for parents, etc. So she, her parents entered her and they said they expected her to be accepted because of legacy. I said, what do you mean? And they said, because her older sister was there and they like to keep children together so parents didn't have to go do pickups at multiple schools unnecessarily. So she did get in, you know, under the legacy at the same school as her sister. So she was gone. I didn't see her. I missed her terribly. I saw her like once after she started. And I also was invited to her fourth birthday party, which was the last time I saw her in February of 2020, right before the pandemic. And this child, the impact was monumental. So her father had told me that she forgot all about her last year at Jubilee Jumpstart. And I thought that meant she forgot about me. And I felt sad about that. And, you know, and we're in a pandemic at this point. You know, I, I had last seen her at, a, at her birthday and the pandemic is going on and on. And I saw her only once on FaceTime. And mostly her feet were up in the air. I couldn't see her. And I got a video from her father of his child. And you could have blown me away because she started talking about something that happened when she was two years old. And when I was there for her and she remembered that, and I thought, boy, she can't remember back to some of the things that happened at three and a half, but she remembered something that happened at two that involved me. And then she said, and this just captured my heart. I was sobbing at this point because I was feeling so lonely and missing my family. I had been through solo quarantine with disabilities. It was very difficult. And when she said the next things to me, she said to me, Roseanne, you have been my best friend since before I remember. And I love you since before I remember. And that meant that she remembered me. She also remembered seeing pictures of her as an infant with me because the place put a picture of the two of us, you know, from that first day and another one when she was three and a half sitting on my lap with the book. So she had seen that. So she knew it was her, whether, of course, she wouldn't remember. I mean, she was five or six months old. She wouldn't remember. And that's what I think she meant from before I remember, because she knew that I was with her since she was a baby. And that had a great impact on the rest of my solo disabled confinement. <laughs> that is quite a powerful story. You mentioned your trip to Borneo, Indonesia. Where, where else did you go? Where in Africa were you? I went to Southern Africa, five countries in Southern Africa. Let me just say, I think the kids love this book because they love the animal photos. You know that children love animals, you know, whether it's dogs or cats. There are children now who do not remember, who have not been to the zoo. We haven't had, a, we hadn't had an open zoo. I, I met a child, 18 months old, who came over with her parents to get an inscribed book. At 18 months old, she had never been to a zoo. She has no memories. She has never seen these animals, you know? 
from a zoo. So I went to Southern Africa specifically to see lots of elephants. And I also went with the intention, not only seeing the big five, I assumed I would, but I wanted to see leopards because my RoseanneWeissman.com website is leopard prints with leopard paw prints with leopard paw prints used as bullets. So my whole website has a leopard theme. Even though I was in marketing communications, even though that had nothing to do with it, I decided I needed a distinctive website. And this was reminiscent to me of what I worked on for discovery of animal paw, paw prints for animal tracks leading the way to different learning. And I was enamored with leopards. So leopards was a feature film, The Leopard Sun. And I was enamored with leopards. And I decided, why be typical? I'm standing out from the rest in terms of what I do. And I just simply decided that my marketing communications website would be leopards and I would have a little fun with it. You wear leopard clothing too. I do. I do wear leopard clothing. And in this show I did called the Roundtable Talk Show hosted by Sharifa Hardy, and it's on FaceTime Live. I, so I have a YouTube channel also. And I, I was just working on some video on Friday. It's not up on my YouTube channel, but I'm wearing what I call the full leopard. So I have leopard tights, a leopard scarf, a jacket with some leopard down it, and a visor that is actually cheetah, but people think it's leopard. So I, I pointed out on the program, I held up my leg and I said, I'm in full leopard now. But when I go <laughs> into classrooms and do the giraffe journey, which is the last of the journeys, I have giraffe ears that a friend gave me. And what I had to do during the pandemic when I couldn't, I couldn't be out there, I couldn't sell books, I really, I had a broader purpose and I knew what that purpose is. And you can ask about it after this, but I needed stuff around me involving my book when I couldn't sell, when nobody knew who I was because my book debut, it went on Amazon in October, 2019, later October. My book debut and book signing was just in November. And what happened in 20, this is November 2019. Well, what happens after that? Less than six months, we're in a pandemic. I could not be out and about. I, I would show it to people and grandparents in particular. Grandparents have loved this book. And one of the things they've done is on FaceTime, if they're in different cities, they read it, to, they get one for the child, one to them, read it to the children. This is their bonding time together. And after that, when everything is okay and we could get together again, we're going to do something. Maybe we'll go to a wildlife park. Maybe we'll go to the zoo together. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. But there's always something that you can play off of for future and even during the pandemic, it's what's outside your window. What about those cute little squirrels running up and down the tree branches? You know, let's see what we have in our neighborhood. Let's look closely. Now it's cicadas. <laughs> so where was your third trip with the with the giraffes? Uh, okay, well, finishing up this leopard one, I am the only one on the whole trip that saw five elusive leopards. You have to realize how unique that is. Most people go to Africa, never see a leopard. So the spotter and the driver were trying to dissuade me. And I said, you don't understand. I'm wearing a lucky leopard <laughs> scarf of my friends. I'm wearing other leopard stuff, unmentionables, <laughs> you know, etc. I'm covered in leopard and we are going to see leopards today. So they Carolyn, obviously did not Didn't know who know. was in the car with them. <laughs> and the thing was, the reason I was the only one, this was a Smithsonian trip. 
The reason I was the only one is because you go in different cars with different drivers and spotters. You don't necessarily go in the same car. So there's an early morning. You go and look at wildlife. There's a later afternoon. So two separate times during the day. So my first day was beyond belief. My first day, a leopard crossed our path as soon as we went into the park. The driver and spotter couldn't believe it. Leopards are nocturnal. This was a beautiful female leopard. I was so excited, I couldn't get out my iPhone in time. So I have photos with a telephoto lens in my book, which are better than my photos from a young woman, 19, who was on this trip with her father and her grandmother. It was three generations of their family. I lucked out not only in seeing leopards, but we went back into the park when we were driving out because they said there was something and they didn't want to tell us what, but did we want to go back? And I said, how far is it? Because, you know, it's like dinner time. Let's, let's remember priorities. And they wouldn't say what it was. Oh, not far. An hour later, we are still in the park, but we find it. There are a mother leopard and two leopard cubs up in a tree. And the driver and the spotter I was with had been in Africa 10 years apiece in different parts of Africa. Neither one of them had ever seen a leopard cub before. So this in the book is high five, Roseanne, holding up a little hand as an emoji. And I, I made sure that all my kids, when they were infants, knew high five. They always knew high five. And they did high five with me. Um, then I'll go to the last trip. So this was five countries in Southern Africa. Then I went to Kenya. My last trip was in Kenya. It was wonderful. I went there specifically because I saw Juju Chain of ABC Nightline, on Nightline, talking, uh, showing she was off to this place where you kiss giraffes. I saw her doing that. And I thought, I have to go there. The very next day, I called this travel person who I met through the Borneo trip who does luxury travel. And I said, I must go there. She says, I've been there. I said, yes, but you've been everywhere, Irene. And I booked with her a year in advance. I booked for four, four nights at least. Nobody books there that long. People go, you know, they're overnight on a honeymoon or they go two nights max. I'm there for four days. And and the travel person's going, but what are you going to do four days with the giraffes? I said, what do you mean? There's a nearby baby orphaned, orphaned elephant kissing giraffes in the dining room, sticking their heads in the dining room. I'm going to be so happy. And it's also the place where there's a house from um, out of Africa, the movie Out of Africa and book. So I thought, I'm going to be so happy there. I will be ecstatic. And if I didn't stay the entire time, I would have missed what I saw on the last day. And that was a newborn, relatively newborn baby giraffe. I had heard that they were there. I had not seen one. And it ran under the mother and beyond. Again, a site. It's on my YouTube channel, which is the same title as the book, and it's called Roseanne Travels to Africa to Kiss a Giraffe on YouTube. And there are some videos there. There are some fun ones of the, of the, the children love the baby orphaned elephant drinking out of an enormous milk bottle. It looks like a child's milk bottle, except three times the size. They, the kids love seeing that video. It's very short. But the other one that makes them laugh is elephant babies, these baby orphaned elephants at the end of the day, virtually stampeding to get their milk because they're hungry, you know, and they're little and it's important. And they are, they are one by one stampeding over to get, you know, to where they live in this David Sheltrick Wildlife Trust you know, where the elephants live. And it is the cutest sight. And then I have 
a penguin site that's very funny. Uh, but my videos are very short. Had I known that I was going to have a YouTube channel, I would have shot the giraffes very differently. I have only that one video of the little baby giraffe and it's far away. I don't know how to describe this, Carolyn, but everything involving these wildlife trips and the book was very magical. And this last trip was the most magical. And I used, I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned that to you, but Jessica Ortner on FaceTime, on Facebook, does these Manifest Mondays. I hope she continues. I mean, she just had a baby and she doesn't do it every Monday, but I thought she did it this past Monday. But I get frantic when I can't find it because much of what I manifested has been manifested online. She does the tapping solution. I don't do the tapping solution. It probably would be much better if I did. But this trip, this last trip to Africa, for over one year, I manifested this extraordinary trip. And I never had one thing go wrong on this entire trip. Who's ever had a trip where nothing goes wrong? I never have before. I mean, this was, <laughs> I could not have ever dreamed of the most wonderful trip. This was truly wonderful. And I, I told the travel person, she says, so where do you want to go on safari? They've got these properties. And I said, well, I don't know how I could top my last safari with, you know, five leopards. So, I mean, everything would go downhill from there. She says, Roseanne, everybody goes on safari here. And then this place, Giraffe Manor, became so popular. In order to stay there, you had to stay at some of their other properties before. So I went to one of their properties, and it truly was fabulous. It was near Masamero, and I saw things I actually never did see before. I saw a pride of 10 lions. And again, that's on my YouTube channel. 10 lions go right by us. I mean, it was, first of all, it's magnificent to see 10. I mean, I don't think it would be magn as magnificent seeing five, but 10 lions in a pride just walking by us without a thought in the world because they knew they were bigger than us. I saw cheetahs licking each other, clearly had eaten, licking each other, you know, just without a care, you know, lolling in the sun. I saw many, many baby wild elephants uh, hidden in the grass. The grass was so tall from the rainy season that you could barely see the ears. So I saw it was wonderful. I was so glad I did this. And then, of course, we had a lion that was loose on the property. <laughs> so that was, that was really interesting. And I discovered that my tent that I stayed in, this luxury tent, was kind of like a trampoline for the, for the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Give people just a brief synopsis of what it was like to kiss a giraffe. I, well, I can't imagine that. I've again, seen giraffes up close and their tongues are long and slobbery. I can't imagine being kissed by a giraffe. That's what this book, that's what this book says. I was so excited that I was going to do that. Then as soon as I told people on Facebook, you know Facebook, right? Oh my <laughs> God, they killed a photographer. Those heads are so big. This is really dangerous. I can't believe you're going to do that. I was never worried before until I get all these cautionary tales. And I thought, oh, my God, of course they are so big. And that's, that's the pages in the book, you know, that I would, it starts out that I was scared to kiss a giraffe. It doesn't say because of Facebook and people connecting with me, because they were so big, they could reach the second floor of a building, you know, and they were so, their head was so large. And I had this great big head in the book with an eye. And, and they're about your tongue thing, Carolyn, and their tongues are so long. So I have a picture of the tongue. So should I tell the secret on your show, Carolyn, about kissing a giraffe? Absolutely. Okay. Only for you. So 
it's not that the giraffes loved me so much and wanted to kiss me or vice versa. It's that I held a giraffe pellet in my mouth and they love these giraffe pellets. There's molasses in them. And one of the things I discovered is that wild animals, certain wild animals anyway, certainly the orangutans and giraffes really like something sweet. They have like a bottomless stomach for these giraffe pellets. They go to Giraffe Manor. They, they have tons of pellets there. They go after that to Giraffe Center, the, which is a wonderful nonprofit. The same giraffes are there. They're kind of like next door. So they know the feeding times in different places. They know at 6.30 in the morning, they go to Giraffe Manor for breakfast. And then they go to Giraffe <laughs> Center. And then they come back again for tea time. So I had this crazy idea when I saw these pictures that they were going to eat my scones, that they were going to take my scones from tea, tea time. But it isn't that at all. They come for the, these giraffe pellets, and sometimes they're on a plate, and sometimes I was holding them. I decided, you know, I say in the book that I was scared to kiss a giraffe. And I think it's good to know for, for children that adults can be scared, too. And there's a reason for this. They're very big and they have these very long tongues and they can, you know, I say, what if they knocked me over? So I started to feed them by hand. And that was a good thing to do. So I did that at Giraffe Manor. I did that at Giraffe Center in Kenya, both in Nairobi, Kenya and the suburbs. That was a good way to start. So I built up trust. I had these different positions. The, the staff that worked there took pictures of me feeding the giraffe and kissing the giraffe and so on. It was just such a novelty to see this. And I love wild animals. I love, I love giraffes. They don't even have any in the zoo here anymore. I love elephants. And I know that there are some zoos, and I totally understand, that don't want to have such sentient beings. They are so smart. They are so smart. And that's what I saw with an orangutan in the first place when I was close to orangutans in the Smithsonian National Zoo. For 20 years, Discovery took me. And for 20 years, from the time that they took me, I dreamed of going to see orangutans in the wild. And I had to have enough time to do that. So I was then gone from my full-time job where I couldn't have taken adequate time. And so I was able to start these wildlife experiences. And the combination of these wildlife journeys, the children that I worked with, and my disability, I should say disabilities, because it's polyneuropathy, and my left leg kind of goes numb, so the combination of those three things coming together totally changed the entire trajectory of my life. And it isn't just that I wrote this children's book, never having expected to have a change of careers without a, never expecting to write a book with no computer. You know, I had envisioned writing an adult book that would maybe be a bestseller, but I never, ever envisioned myself writing a children's book. I never imagined the kind of relationship I would have with children because I wasn't a mother. I had a wonderful relationship with my niece and nephew and with my great niece now. And I miss them terribly. And they're on the other end of the country. And we have not had our little family gathering. We're going to get together in late July. But I grew very attached to these children and I missed the kids when they left for other schools because I had seen them develop for two to three years. And it's so great to see multiple children develop differently. And you become used to some children do this and some children do that. And, you know, like one, one child, I was worried about him crawling because he never crawled. He just scooched on his rear. And I just loved telling stories and I loved doing my book with them. And, 
But the other thing I realize from being close to nature, et cetera, and having a broader view of things is I was expecting something big to happen in for Earth Day 50th anniversary, which was April 2020. And I was feeling it. I was, and I did some things, including the wildlife travel. I wanted to do things that were important to me. So I did that last wildlife trip. So I was feeling this back in at least 2017 that something was happening. The rate of faster and faster climate change disasters. So I was feeling stuff like that. But overall, I think I have learned a very important lesson. And that is the lesson that we're to learn during this pandemic is that all living things are connected. And that's something that happens one place. Look how, look how quickly we went from China to here to closing down the world. We're talking three months, four months max, three months. The world closed down. I was not expecting a pandemic. I never envisioned anything this severe, but I was envisioning the other stuff that happened, the climate change disaster after you know, increasingly worse ones, because we, we have made choices in how we're living that aren't always the best for the planet and for our lives in general. And I think we saw some things during the pandemic, and that was a return of people to nature, finding peace in nature, you know, just watching a brook, watching watching nature, just finding a moment of peace where you could get away from it all. I think people were making some discoveries, but my discovery for a long time has been how interconnected we are. We are interconnected through the internet, the world. So we are not only interconnected as human, you know, as living forms, but the interesting things that I've been learning is about trees talking to each other. And I heard this fascinating lecture about how one tree gives another tree something to sustain it. That trees aren't just isolated. And these are scientists, these are people who run natural habitat tours, etc. And I've learned and grown a lot through this process. And now I think of everything differently. One of the things that I saw on television this past weekend was, and I don't remember where it was, but it showed a picture of this incredibly large forest. And the interesting thing about it is that it is one tree. It's one root system, but many, many different trees have actually sprung up from this one root system. And it really is quite an illustration of what you just said, is that we are all interconnected, even if we don't realize it or even if we don't accept it. What happened in China and the research is coming out that it was a natural evolution, that it wasn't human error, did impact all of us, the entire world in, in monumental ways. And I, I love that message. I love I love what you've just said. And I think if each of us reflected on it, we would, we would admit that we are interconnected and we have to accept personal responsibility for what happens across this earth. Well, we can even see that there is proof for this. So last year with the horrible fires, the smoke came over to the east. I'm on the opposite end of the country. I could feel it here. Things don't happen just in one place. We cannot cut down the rainforests without affecting weather. The rainforests are kind of like the lungs of the planet. The reason they're important and more important than getting cheap palm oil for snack food is because they are the lungs of the world, because it allows the earth to exist as whether you have a belief as God made it, 
And we were given this earth. And I'm not going to get biblical, but part of our job is also to protect the earth for the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and the great-great-grandchildren. We want them to be able to breathe clean air, to drink water that is drinkable. We want them to be able to see these wild animals and we are losing species. And the horrifying thing to me was that there, if we keep going on this path, children of the future will not be, or even children today, will not be seeing an orangutan, will not be seeing a gorgeous giraffe, will not be seeing some of these other things that we took for granted. Now, I'm not wild about zoos, but they do a wonderful thing involving species, keeping the species going. There are programs at the various Jews, at the various zoos. So we can see it as animals locked up, or we could see it as a way to show people what's important. And these truly are magnificent creatures. When I looked into the eyes of an orangutan 20 some years ago, I saw intelligence there. I also saw something we were told that animals didn't have. I think back there then we were told that, that the difference between man, meaning humans and animals is that man could make tools, make and use tools. But I saw 20 some years ago at the Smithsonian National Zoo that orangutans could make tools. When you think of a tool as doing something you couldn't do otherwise, I saw orangutans standing in a line waiting to get into think tank. And there was one orangutan I was looking at who carried in a branch, you know, with the leaves and branches coming off all over that. And then she takes her large hand down the branches, got rid of the leaves, etc. So she had a long branch. So the goal of these orangutans was to eat fruit loop where they like fruit loops. Again, I told you, I found out that they like sweet things. In order to get the fruit loops, their hand could not fit under the grass, the glass to get the fruit loops. So it meant they had to have something that could get the Fruit Loops. So the orangutans go, they try to get the Fruit Loops. You could tell some of them did not learn, but this very smart orangutan, she uses that branch, goes under that glass pane and gets the Fruit Loops to her and eats them. So she gets what she wants. And I thought, that's the use of tools if I've ever seen the use of tools, you know. A tool <laughs> is to help you get done what you want to get done. There are a lot of situations since then that have been documented. So the trip I had that I take children with me now in classrooms, and uh, if there are teachers listening to this podcast, I'm happy to come to classrooms. I realize that this is the end towards the end of the school year, but I will do a reading of um, from from the high pre-K K up to fourth grade, because I do it at a different level uh, of the giraffe part of the book, just to have an author, a virtual author visit to a classroom. I have giraffe ears. And then I do the imaginary journey that involves more prep. And I have tested with kids that are up to, I have a special section for children who are seven to nine years old that gets a little bit more into the geography of where we are, the climate, you know, and I also tested with kids whether it was okay to use something about endangered animals and extinction. And I got really interesting answers from children in the seven to nine category. They told me they already knew, knew about rainforest from school. They knew about this and that, and they knew about extinction. I said, oh, and I said, so do you think this is too hard to put in this about, you know, this animal being extinct? No, because we know about it 
but we don't like it. But people should know is what they said. And this was, a you know, we're talking about a West Coast white child, a more East Coast um, black child. I was getting the same responses and I couldn't test it as much as I tested the book. Again, during a pandemic, it wasn't, it wasn't possible. Nobody would talk to you. Oh, I have a great story. I went to the Washington National Zoo in September for the orangutan red's fourth birthday with copies of my book that I was going to give away. Not one person would take a free book. They were so oh afraid of COVID. It's not the situation now, you know, with vaccinations, et cetera, but you could not give a book away at the zoo about wildlife. So it was very disheartening to me that I had a book in a pandemic that I knew children liked and that grandparents and parents would like reading to them, et cetera. But I couldn't give it away. My grandkids yeah. love the book. Each family has a book and they love, they love when I read it to them. I am so happy for you, Carolyn, and meeting you. Um, it was a great occasion and you're, and you're buying the book for your grandchildren. And it makes me happy to hear stories like that. I did an inscribed book. I met a little girl who I did not know, met her parents kind of through next door, you know, the app next door, people in the neighborhood, yes. you know, yeah. So there was this delightful story and I want to go into detail. And I said, I realize it will not take the place of her lost stuffy, stuffy, but could I give your child a book for you to read? And I will inscribe it. And they said, well, once it was returned, they would just buy the book. And I said, this story was so heartening. Please let me give the book inscribed to you. And so I met the little girl. They told her before that she was going to meet the author of this book. And the book was inscribed from her parents. And it's an inscription I do, who love you so much and who know the author who kissed a giraffe. And I can only tell you that goes over really, really well with children right. to know that they have a Grammy like you who knows the author. And you can share the interview with them. You could say, and I interviewed yes. her for my podcast. <laughs> yes, that's fun. That's one of the really cool things about this podcast is that I meet so many incredible people. That's really oh, yeah. fun. So we are toward the end of our talk. What are some last words, words of wisdom that you would like to share with the grandparents and parents who are listening? Well, number one is obviously buy the book, use it with your grandchildren, et cetera, but build off that book too, to think about places you'd like to go together. And for example, you know, during the pandemic, I felt so isolated. I, you know, my, my trip, to see um, polar bears was canceled, you know, and I thought, what could I do? And I am going to a grief concert. I have lost a lot of people in my life. And she suggested getting a limo. She said, you haven't had a vacation, get a limo and go to this wildlife safari. So you'll see some animals at least. There are safari places in some states there are places you can go to see wild animals. When you're a child, everything is magical. That's when you see the little caterpillar. That's when you watch the caterpillar turn into a butterfly and you're so amazed. I remembered that as a child and I remember going to, through this experience with the kids. So just make everything an adventure. Like your title of your podcast, Adventures with Grammy. It doesn't matter if you're disabled. It doesn't matter if you can't do everything. Your grandchildren love you no matter what. You do what you can. My philosophy is that everything is an adventure if you have an adventure attitude. It's like the I places agree. that, but the, the, the things that I do with my grandkids are, are ordinary. I mean, there's nothing spectacular. I don't have 
the budget or the income to be able to take them on a trip to Indonesia or to Africa to see the animals in the wild. But I can take them to the safari park in Virginia and I can take them to the zoo. Yeah, I can take them those places. And so I buy memberships and we we go there. You know, we recently went to the uh, NASA Museum in Newport News. And I tell the kids we're going on an adventure and we pack a picnic lunch or, you know, we do something We just do something, but it's the idea that it is an adventure. And one of my grandsons, he came up to me one day and just hugged me. And he said, I love going on adventures with you. And it just made me feel so good because, again, to me, it's an ordinary experience. But to these kids, you say the word adventure and it opens up a whole new world for them. And that's why the title of your podcast is so great, too. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.